0: Amos chapter 8. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the the sovereign Lord, The songs in the temple were turned to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As surely as your God lives, Dan, or As surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. Lord, we pray for Steve as he preaches to us. Uh, Lord, that we won't be those who suffer from a famine of your word, but be enriched and refreshed by it. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, for, thank you for praying, Fiona. Um, actually, uh, it's slightly odd that um, Fiona should be reading this evening, because as I was preparing, I'd, I had in mind a conversation that you, that you and I had, Fiona, um, just before the beginning of the, of the pandemic, uh, where we, we were all anticipating uh, this, this funny COVID thing that arrived. And I remember you saying, Fiona, that you thought that we needed to think in terms of sort of nine months that it would be Christmas before, uh, before we'd be out of it. This was sort of in February time, I think, we were sat down having that conversation. Um, and I thought, no, <laughs> no, ridiculous, can't be. Uh, nine months, no. Uh, and, of course, two years on. Um, extraordinary change that we've seen, isn't it? Startling change, uh, Waterloo, uh, then deserted. Uh, uh, the, the transformation that we have witnessed in all sorts of contexts. Uh, But it's not just a pandemic where extraordinary reversals from crowded streets to deserted ones, but Ukraine uh, and happy street scenes uh, to scenes of utter devastation. Uh, Shocking reversals that we have witnessed. Or or make it uh, more personal. Uh, I recently watched an interview with with a friend of mine, Mike Kane, a friend and pastor in Bristol, uh, leading ministry there. Uh, And uh, thriving and healthy, uh, I think, in his early 50s, uh, when he found a lump, felt sure it was nothing but visited his GP, just just to be sure. GP felt sure it was nothing but referred him on, just to be sure. Uh, And a matter of weeks later, major surgery for a malignant melanoma that had spread uh, and now into uh, immunotherapy to try and curtail it. It happens. Reversals. Things that we never anticipated suddenly changed in an instant. Shocking and unsettling. Unless, of course, you get warned which of course is the point of this Old Testament book, for it is a warning from Amos. Now, see, see, suppose uh, later on, we're, we're on the way home, and I, and I spot Zika outside the front there, and, and I say, Zika, look out, that bus is going to run you over. Um, well, if Zika heeds my, heeds my warning and jumps out of the way, I'm not disappointed that my word of prophecy didn't come true, am I? You know, bother, I've been proved a liar. The bus didn't run him over after all. Now, of course, the whole point of me shrieking at Zika is that he might hear me and respond. You get that with Old Testament prophecy. Speaking words of judgment, but in a sense, God speaks words of judgment in order to warn his people, in order that his people might attend and change and repent and avoid the judgment that comes. Well, here is Amos speaking in the 8th century BC, a time when the, the people had been divided into those two nations a northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. Uh, and Amos from the south is speaking to the north with words of warning. Now, uh, Israel had become uh, unusually prosperous. Uh, The the neighbouring nations had become relatively weak, so Israel had been able to expand its borders, had been able to prosper in trade. It was a time of economic plenty. These were the good days. A bit like the UK, pre-pandemic. Like Ukraine, pre-war. Like my friend, pre-diagnosis and what we see here is a terrible reversal coming that within 30 or 40 years uh, an awful undoing and it's the first of our, our three headings tonight from this chapter awful reversals how judgment undoes us i don't know if you spotted it as fiona read but there are a whole series of of sort of pictures of things turning round in this chapter uh, it begins with the first one, uh, with the, the vision of the basket of ripe fruit. And I think the sense is here that, that ripe fruit is, it looks lovely, doesn't it? A basket, a lovely ripe fruit. But you know how it is with ripe fruit? It goes off like that, doesn't it? Yeah, the bananas go brown and the, uh, and the strawberries go moldy uh, and the peaches go all soggy. And it's just horrible, almost overnight. Well, I think that's the sense of this ripe fruit. My people are ripe for judgment says the Lord God. Uh, and then the reversals continue uh, as we look down to verse 3 where, where there's reversals in the temple. The, the, the temple full of singing, full of praise, full of noise, full of joy and that singing turns to wailing and then to a ghastly, awful silence. And then uh, flick over the page and you see in verse 9 uh, reversals in nature That the sun going down at noon when it's at its highest. And the earth becomes dark. And then the temple again. Festival celebrations that become times of mourning. mourning, As as joy turns to weeping. Desperate weeping. As for the death of an only son. Even spot that there are some reversals in, in the youth group of the day. Down there in verse 13. Did you spot that? Lovely young women, strong young men. It's grafted, full of vitality, full of energy. And yet, in an instant, uh, we see the strong faint, the mighty fall, never to rise again. Uh, and Amos is not finished yet because there's one other reversal that I've left out so far there in verses 11 and 12. For from a time of, of plenty, with more than enough, famine comes. Only this isn't famine of food. No, this is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. It's funny, isn't it? Because you, you might think, well, I can't imagine that. Here at Christchurch, church, Bible everywhere. Sermons every week. Ones that go on much too long, lots of that. Bible studies, home groups, reading plans for the year. There's Bible everywhere, for goodness sake. But imagine that reversed. Imagine God's word no more. Imagine a famine. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of God. So that no matter where you look, you couldn't find it anymore. No Bibles. No preaching. Crying out to hear something from the Lord. And he's silent. It'd be the most terrible judgment, wouldn't it? For God to be silent. No longer speaking. Wanting to hear something from him. Wanting to know something about who he is. About what he does. About what he has for us. And silence. Nothing. Nothing. From God, It'd be the most terrible judgment, and it leaves people. Verse eleven or verse twelve, staggering from sea to sea, wandering from north to east, searching. They'll circuit round the land, searching. Isn't there anybody who's heard something from the Lord that hears His word anymore? But it's not to be found. Can you imagine how you'd? You'd, you'd kind of regret, wouldn't you? You remember back to those days when there was Bible everywhere and you'd think, oh, I wish I'd listened. I wish I'd paid more attention. I wish I'd memorized some verses. But now it's gone. It Slip through my fingers. Now, I, I can't hear anything from God at all. How are we with God's Word? Casual, relaxed, or desperate to hear it? aware of how awful it would be if we didn't have it Now I can't imagine how God's word might disappear from our land, from our churches I can't can't imagine how that could take place but then again I couldn't imagine a pandemic either things happen don't they so first terrible reversals how judgment undoes us uh, and then secondly, as it were, the, the cause for this terrible reversal, uh, which is awful oppression, how exploitation condemns us. It's, it's easy, I guess, if you've been around over this, uh, these last few months, as we've worked our way through Amos chapter by chapter, easy to sort of get slightly lost and not see some of the structures um, we're, we're in a section now of visions that runs through chapters 7, 8, and 9. And in all sorts of ways, the, the, the structure throws attention on the middle chapter, chapter 8. And in fact, chapter 8 has a bit of a structure to it as well, which also throws attention particularly on verses 4, 5, and 6, which is where we find, well, we just find kind of, kind of business, really, just ordinary stuff. People getting on with their jobs, doing their trades, cutting their deals, buying, selling, making a profit, doing the stuff that people do. But Amos presses below the surface of the business world and doesn't like what he sees. Verse 5 When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? And you get the picture, here, here are people doing church, doing their, their religion, being spiritual. But all the time, actually, what they're thinking is, oh, well, can we get past this? Get, get back to, to work, get back to making money again, because that's the thing I'm really interested in. I'm just here on sufferance, really. have got to do this religious bit, but, but actually, my energy's out there. Not the other way around. But it's not just that the priorities are wrong, the deals are wrong too. So look at the end of verse five, skimping on the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales. You, can you picture it? Things got, you know, you did trades with your balance scales. We can all remember them from school, can't we? You know, the sort of, you know, the pivoty bit in the middle and two little trays either side. And, and you, had your, you had your weight. And you had your selling weight and your buying weight, unless you did if you were crooked. Um, and when you had a selling weight, you know, that was you sort of balanced out how much grain you're going to sell. Well, if you made that one a little bit light, then your customer got short measures. A- and then when you measured out the silver that he's going to pay you, well, you make that one a little bit heavier. And you get a bit of extra silver each time. That's the way you did it. A- and then you do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of hokey-pokey with, uh, with the sweeping up of all the, all the leftovers. You know, all the rubbish on the floor. Well, we'll pop that in the bag. They'll never notice. Cover it over with a bit of the nice stuff. And they won't know what's down there at the bottom. That's the, that's the sweepings that I mentioned there at the end of verse 6. The sweepings with the wheat. It's all crooked. Deceptive. So the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. One writer puts it like this, they looked at people and they saw things as if people were just merchandise to be used to make money. They saw others, but they thought about themselves. What can I earn from using them? There's a terrible self-interest to the picture that's being painted here. Now, How do you apply that uh, in our contemporary moment? Uh, And I puzzled over this this morning. I I thought, first of all, of of saying something about energy companies, but then I spoke to an economist this morning and realised how little I understood, so I've abandoned that course. Um, And then I thought about saying, uh, talking about the difference between what CEOs get paid and what average workers get paid. Uh, And I'm a little bit more persuaded of that. Did you you know that uh, for some of our ordinary companies, UK companies, like our supermarkets and shops, the CEO of the company uh, is paid 300 times more than the average salary in the company? Except in one particular company where it's 2,000 times. I shan't name them. Now, I don't understand how you justify that differential. But but again, one of you will tell me, explain to me why that's justifiable, but I don't get it. But then I thought again, well, okay, this sort of iniquity, iniquitous sort of gap between the, the very richest and the very poorest feels uncomfortable, but then again, most of us probably are in the upper echelons anyway, so maybe it's not a very good one to use. And I find myself thinking maybe how we responded to food banks, how you and I respond to charities that provide for the poor? Maybe that's a better question for us to be asking ourselves. How do we respond to the needs of poverty around us? Do we just sort of shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's such a complicated thing, or I don't know what difference I can make, and it's really down to the government? Do we find some way of sliding past those kind of issues, or do they really catch us? Does it really bother us that there are an increasing number of people relying on food banks? Do we feel the urge to do something about it? What the New Testament seems to tell us is that if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And if you don't show mercy, you can't receive mercy. And that's not because you earn either of those things. It's not what the New Testament is telling us. It it, it means that because finding them means giving them, that they kind of go together. If we have been shown mercy, we will be merciful people. And if we're not merciful people, it probably means we haven't found mercy. If we're indifferent to the poor, then our soul is in danger. Uh, we're working our way through Acts in the morning. Uh, perhaps some of you are following that series through as well. And in a bit, we're going to get to chapter 15, which is the chapter where we, we read about Paul going to Jerusalem to find out whether the apostles in Jerusalem approve of his gospel or not. And he writes about it in Galatians, uh, about that visit. And in Galatians, he said that they, they were happy, but they did set a condition. They said all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing i had been eager to do all along. That's it. Because that's what the gospel does. As we, in our spiritual poverty, get shown mercy, it turns us into people who show mercy to the poor. But do we? So awful reversals, then an awful oppression, um, and now forgive a slightly awkward pun, um, but awe-full salvation. Uh, Michael said, how are you coping with Amos? I make no apology for week after week of judgement. If we don't work our way through some of the uncomfortable books in the New Testament, we'll just end up in the Bible, Uh, then we will just end up with an unbalanced view of God. He gives us all of Scripture to teach us. And we need to enter into the uncomfortable books, like Amos, full of judgment, if we're going to end up with God as he presents himself to us, not God as we would like him to be and this recurring note of judgment is pretty relentless and it is easy to wonder where the gospel has gone but but i hope you understand that we'll never understand the gospel message unless we first understand judgment we'll never understand how much we've been rescued from if we haven't engaged with the reality of a judgment that we need rescuing from. And we'll never understand the the scale of the price that has been paid for us if we haven't gazed at the awfulness of the judgment. Just look again at the reversal in verse 9. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. The darkness acts as a, as a sign of God's absence. It is in that sense a sign of, of judgment, a sign of God forsaking his people because of their sin. Light gives way to darkness. The presence of God to his absence. And such a thing is terrible. It's chapters 1 through to 8 of Amos, terrible. Chapter after chapter, terrible. It's awful to think of such a thing, the absence of God. But as we read this, perhaps like me, you find yourself thinking of one particular day when it was dark at noon. Let me read you the account from Mark chapter 15 and verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you silent? How did you hear me when I called to you?" And some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. In the business of reversals, there is no greater reversal than this, is there? Glory, giving way to poverty. Strength, given up for weakness. Abundance, becoming need. As the eternal son cries to his father and no answer comes. I've heard it described in this kind of way, to try and capture the significance of this. Um, Think of it in this way. Uh, Suppose there's somebody here for the first time this evening, and suppose after the service they come up and find me and say, I I really didn't like your sermon, and I never want to hear you ever preach again. In fact, I never want to see you again. Uh, And they storm out the building well, I'll be hurt. I guess I'll puzzle. What did I say that was so offensive? How could I have put it better? Was it my fault? I guess it will trouble me for for some weeks. Uh, But suppose, suppose David Todd came up to me at the end of the service and said, I never want to see you again. Cuts me out of his life. Four years of friendship, four years of ministry together. Well, that doesn't take a few weeks to get over, does it? That takes months, years. Or push it further. suppose I go home at the end of this service and my wife Beth says I want nothing more to do with you. I'm out of your life. Never want to see you again. Cutting you off after 35 years of marriage three children raised together don't think i'd ever get over that the eternal son eternally united to his father for all of eternity the closest of unions you see that the the pain of loss is proportional to the quality, the intensity, the, the richness of the relationship, isn't it? Well, what is it like for Christ, the eternal Son, perfectly united to his Father? We need to hear the magnitude of judgment. We need to feel the awfulness of judgment in order to appreciate the wonder of our salvation. To perceive what it is that Christ has done for us. It is an awe full. We are in awe of such a salvation for us. And unless we engage with the reality of the judgment of God, we miss it. So we need prophets like Amos reminding us, for without them, we will not see just what a wondrous salvation he is brought. I can ask the band if they'll come back up to the front, because we're going to sing about the power of the cross. Um, but I'm going to suggest that before we respond to God in prayer, we are quiet. Uh, I wanted to, to take you through this chapter to gaze at the cross when the sun was darkened at noon and I want to suggest for a few moments of quiet uh, we bring personal praise uh, in humility uh, to God and then we'll sing